Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. And today I'm joined by John Gebhardt and Chris Chencheski of the IRS Criminal Investigation Cybercrimes Unit. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today. So, it's interesting, we don't normally associate the IRS with criminal investigations pertaining to cryptocurrencies, but that's exactly what you do. So maybe if you could explain to me what the role of the IRS is in monitoring cryptocurrency activity. And I'll go with you first, Chris. Of the roughly 75,000 IRS employees in that, there's about 2,000 or so special agents that focus on criminal investigations. And so our focus is mostly on tax matters, but also on money laundering and Bank Secrecy Act violations. So kind of within that is where we've kind of found our niche the most with cryptocurrency, although we do have cryptocurrency tax investigations as well. And so with money laundering in this example, we really can touch on so many different areas of uh, illegal activity, whether that's terrorism, like we recently saw darknet markets that are putting out anywhere from child exploitation to drugs, um, uh, other types of exploitations like ransomware. And so it kind of makes sense mm -hmm. if you think about it from the standpoint of following the money, like who better to follow the money than the tax investigators. And you know, like all those crimes I just listed are done from a profit motive standpoint. So if you can figure out who's profiting from the crimes behind it, more than likely you're gonna figure out who's perpetrating the crimes as well. Cryptocurrency has long been associated with, with criminal activity right from their very genesis. We've obviously seen things like the Silk Road and so on and so forth. Um, I guess really is, you know, the question being is how, where, where do you focus your um, investigation? It's, you know, again, you've maybe got a, a needle in a pile of needles here rather than a haystack. It's, it's, there's, there's so much nefarious activity out there. Where do you uh, really concentrate? Uh, I mean, it's really just trying to follow the money from an overall scheme. I mean, whether it's fiat currency or cryptocurrency, it's all a matter of following the money it's at some time some point in the whole scheme, somebody, they're doing it for a profit motive, like Chris said, and they have to spend the money. And it's really focusing more so on where the money's spent. And then a lot of times kind of working your way back to where it started at. Yeah, I would add that from like a case selection standpoint, when you have much larger organizations like FBI, DEA, HSI or somebody, um, they have a lot more groups that are focused on specific threat areas. Uh, our cyber crimes group really kind of have like three criteria really one right. there's going to have to be a financial nexus because that's we are a financial investigative entity uh, two it's going to have to be some type of cyber crime for our group specifically so when it comes to cryptocurrency you're basically checking those first two boxes and third we just really look for like what's the most impactful case because we're only so many cyber crime unit agents um, so the good thing is that we're able to just kind of pivot from case to case. We don't get stuck in a specific threat area, so we can kind of pivot pretty quickly. Uh, like I mentioned with some of the cases we've been involved in, we can look at North Korea hacking and then pivot to um, like the Helix Mixer or uh, the Twitter hack, um, all these cases that are being represented out of our group. Obviously, I think one of the uh, higher profile takedowns that you were involved in occurred in August where you took down uh, three terror finance cyber enabled campaigns. Maybe could you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so the uh, I guess the one I was involved with was more of the the, the Hamas Bitcoin donation website. Uh, I had a small part of that as far as some of the eventual uh, money launders at the end of the scheme. Um, first of all, there was 
the Bitcoin donation site, and then the proceeds were laundered through various methods. And we identified uh, one Turkish individual uh, who actually received direct transfers of some of the Bitcoin. Um, and then investigating that person further, we see that he's a large player in Turkey and probably moved, you know, over a hundred million dollars worth of money over a year and a half period. Um, and so I, I guess the, uh, the terror financing led us to big unlicensed money launders over in, overseas. And despite the fact that they're overseas, they're still required to be um, licensed with FinCEN uh, under Bank Secrecy Act uh, regulations. Um, and so my part of the aspect of the investigation was focusing on the two Turkish individuals and uh, charging them with operating unlicensed money transmitting businesses. Mm-hmm. Chris, anything you'd like to add to you have actually involved in this as well? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, Hamas's military wing, the Al-Qassam's Brigade, is not a new entity. It's been around and been designated by the U.S. for quite some time. And uh, so they've had uh, many opportunities where they've tried to um, receive funds internationally to include from the U.S. What was unique about this one, of course, is the fact that they started using cryptocurrency. And as we kind of laid out in the affidavit, the three different stages of it, the first one being they created an account in a U.S.-based exchange, which they quickly realized was not a great idea, and then pivoted to a second stage where they had an unhosted wallet. And then we see it pivoted to a third stage, which is even more advanced of having it on their website, creating new addresses, and also having a video in multiple different languages explaining to their potential donors how to kind of layer these funds and can hopefully conceal it before donating it to them. Uh, and that's really interesting. That was in a matter of months that we see this kind of scheme evolve in real time. And, you know, I think that that's really kind of telling of the kind of ecosystem as a whole is that like, while we're trying to figure out what they're doing, sometimes the uh, alleged bad guys are also trying to figure out what exactly they're trying to do as well and kind of learn from the mistakes. I mean, that, that's interesting in its own right. I mean, there's this, I guess, assumption wrongly so that Bitcoin is anonymous, but there are other coins out there that are more difficult to deal with. So, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, the, the degree of obfuscation is evolving for these criminals as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if all those transactions took place in cash in a room 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to follow them any better than I would Bitcoin, right? So, in some ways, cryptocurrency is making it easier, but it's also like, the scope, the span, and then some of the complexity of it becomes more difficult. Like, I think most people could add up cash pretty easily, but it would be a little more difficult for somebody to try and just like pick up Monero tomorrow and try and figure out what exactly happened. Yeah, exactly. What about, I mean, going forward, we're obviously reaching the end of this particular year. Um, Going forward into 2021, what are your biggest concerns? What are are areas that keep you up at night pertaining to um, cryptocurrency? Uh, I would say my uh, biggest fear is people moving away from Bitcoin. I mean, I think we're starting to get a big handle on how to trace that uh, through the system. It's more readily accessible. More people are using it. But if people start using these privacy coins, um, there's going to be a bigger hurdle to get to to get to the same comfort level that we have with Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's that's one of my biggest fears is people actually moving on to to more complex uh, ways of moving money, more private ways. I noticed as well recently there was a headline uh, in September the IRS is offering grants for software to trace these privacy-focused cryptos. So clearly you're you trying to get ahead of the game as well. 
Definitely trying to. Um, and that, I mean, I think we'll get there. Uh, but it's obviously, like I said, just a big hurdle to get over. Um, and it's new to everybody. And so yeah. we're trying to take the lead within the uh, federal agencies out there. Chris, what about you? Concerns going forward? Yeah, I don't know if there's so much a thing that keeps me up at night is that I do foresee some challenges. Some of those being the wallets with like built-in swapping abilities, some of the mixing capabilities out there. And I understand the arguments of whether or not that's privacy or that's money laundering. I've seen that kind of argument play out in real time with the Helix case that's working its way through the courts. Um, so, but I will say I'm also an optimist in that, so being a part of the Welcome to Video Child Exploitation website, uh, mm -hmm. investigation, also North Korea hacking, and then this terrorism case is that I've reached out and worked with many different exchanges around the world. And, you know, it's very reassuring to see that these exchanges are very proactive when you contact them and let them know that these things are going on on their platforms. I think that they're the first to like kind of stand up and say, this is not the activity that we signed up to facilitate. And so there's a lot of self-policing. So that's very encouraging. And, uh, I think that when you see like the packs that where an exchange comes out and announces that this took place, the community, um, whether that's the private sector, or just independent researchers really kind of grab hold of that information and try and work together to try and figure out what's happening. Yeah. And I think that that's the most proactive kind of response to these things. Like, um, you know, the kind of the group think mentality of all these people working together. Yeah, and, and certainly I've, I've seen it myself, a lot of the exchanges have more robust KYC than a lot of maybe financial institutions do. It's, uh, you know, they, they're trying to clearly legitimize their business because they obviously think they want to remain uh, competitive and, and ideally, I suppose, in all respects, go mainstream, right? It's, there's no point having uh, these exchanges if they are seen as nefarious in some shape or form. Yeah, for sure. If that's your only uh, clientele, maybe you want that kind of nefarious kind of uh, credibility. But if you're a legitimate exchange, you want people to have some trust in their platform and be able to have their funds there. And, you know, like me personally, I would rather put my funds, of course, in an exchange that I know is going to be above board as opposed to somebody that could just do an exit scam and disappear. And I have no legal, legal recourse for them in the Seychelles or wherever. And as I was saying before we joined this conversation, no one knows your dog on the internet, right? So <laughs> it is all about legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Chris, John, really enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, certainly uh, appreciate the work you're doing. and uh, Please do continue. So that's uh, John Gebert and Chris Jankczewski of the IRS and for Information Security Media Group. I'm Nick Holland. Thank you.